You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Some of you might not know this, but I actually know some of your members because some of them were members of our church probably 10, 15 years ago. So it was fun to come in and see Renee and to see Daniel and just realize, you know, it's good to be part of the family of God, you know, and God knits our hearts together. So it's a real joy for me to be here this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, obviously a famous passage on the topic of love. And as you're turning there in your Bible, have you ever just been driving along the road and realized you're a little bit lost? You're not sure you want to admit it, but the person in the seat next to you says, hey, uh, you might want to check the GPS. I'm not quite sure this is uh, the right way to go. And so you do need to pull over on the side of the road and just make sure your orientation is right. Make sure you're getting to the right destination. Well, in 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to just pull over to the side of the road for a minute so they can check to make sure that they're going on the right spiritual direction. So in chapters 12, 13, and 14 in 1 Corinthians, we learn many common things, things that we know about many gifts and one giver being God and the purpose of the gifts that God gives to the church, which is for the common good and for building up the church. But the Corinthians, like you and me, sometimes lose our way a little bit. And they were losing their way. They had all these spiritual gifts that they were really proud of and encouraged by. But there were also divisions in the church. There was quarreling, jealousy, strife, even lawsuits between believers. And so this is the context that we have for when Paul calls time out and says, hey, I need to explain something to you. You can have all these gifts and all this spiritual life going on, but there's one essential ingredient that you must have because if you don't have it, it nullifies all the other gifts. And I know New City's been through a lot of stuff over the last two years, and probably three years for that matter. And I just come today with a, a word of encouragement for you. And so we're going to have 1 Corinthians 13 read for us right now. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been known, fully known. So now faith, hope, love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. 
So familiar words for all of us, but let's pray and ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. It's a day that you've made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. And I thank you for the dear saints here at New City Fellowship and the way that you're at work in their lives and in this church. And I do pray, Lord, that you would bless your word today, that it would go out and not return void, that it would speak to our hearts and that we would understand this more excellent way, the way of love. So, Father, send your spirit now to be with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul wants to see that there's something essential that all of us have to have in order for the gifts that God gives to us to actually work together and to function properly. And so the main point of this sermon is that love is not a spiritual gift. It's actually a way of life. It's not just something that we sort of tack onto things. It's actually at the core and of the essence of how we live out the Christian life with one another. And the topic of love can be a little bit difficult, isn't it? Like if somebody said, hey, I want you to define love, you'd say, well, not exactly sure what I would say about that. Um, hard to define. There are a lot of opinions out there. Uh, sometimes songwriters say, all you need is love. Or currently, there's a, a phrase out there that love is love. So there's a good definition for you. Love is love. So what does that actually mean? And, and I understand the sentiment behind these things, and I'm encouraging of that. But when we actually stop and think, well, what is love? We have to get our arms around that because it's such a vital part of the Christian life. Not knowing what it really means means that we're going to miss out on a big part of the Christian life. And God's word has a lot to say about love, doesn't it? 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. Romans 5, 5 says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. A little whisper of the motivation for why we love and how we love. Mark 12 gives us a command about love. The greatest commandment is to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so we know what our mission is as followers of Christ, that we are to be loving, to love God and to love our neighbors, to love people who love us and to love people who don't love us to love people who agree with what we believe in and also to love people with the love of Christ who don't believe in what we believe in. And so love is essential. Love is the main point of this message, but it's also the main message that the Lord gives to us because he pours his love into our hearts and we're to pour that love out into the people that he has placed around us. Look back with me at verses one, two, and three. When he says, I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And I would just like you to picture up here on the stage a little drum kit and imagine if while I'm trying to talk, somebody was just sitting there banging on the cymbals the whole time. It's annoying, isn't it? Okay, well, that's the picture that's being said here. I can be up here preaching, but if I don't love you, it's like I'm sitting here standing and banging on a cymbal at the same time. You'd say, I understand what you're saying, but, it, but it's noisy to me. I can't really embrace it. And he goes on, he says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give, all, give away all I have and if I deliver up, deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So love 
is serious business. Do we think of it that way? Sadly, when I look at my life, I think a lot more often about how right I am about things, about my opinion on different things. I don't always stop and ponder, how loving am I? You see, in the greatest commandment, it says that you're to love your neighbor, how? As yourself. See, the Bible and Jesus already understand we know what love is because we, we practice it all the time with ourselves. I love me, but I'm not always so concerned about loving you. And this is what Paul is getting after. See, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is talking about the spiritual gifts and these wonderful gifts. And he's not minimizing those gifts, but he says if, if you have all these gifts, but you don't know how to love, it really doesn't amount to much. And so that's why he stops in mid-thought, and he connects chapters 12 and uh, 14, and he calls time out, and he says, before I say anything else, I've got to tell you this. There's something so important that if you don't understand it or don't apply it, you will be useless in God's kingdom. Those are hard words. That's a hard concept to get our minds around. We don't think of love this way. We don't think of how essential it is, but it actually is. Because the Christian life is about more than just being right. It's about more than just being spiritually gifted or religious and doing religious things. We're called to demonstrate love for others. Love is the most excellent way. Without it, we are annoying. We're a noisy gong. We're irrelevant. I am nothing, it says. And we're useless to God. I gain nothing. So that's the bad news, right? So if you hear this message, you go, oh, wow, that's the last time we're having that guy from Fairfax come down here. He came in here and just said, no, you guys aren't loving. Well, I'm not saying that, but, but there is an aspect here where we need to always understand the bad news before we can understand the good news. You see, the good news is God's love manifests itself in that he loves us. John 3.16, right? God so loved the world and he saves us and he brings us into his family. And he pours his love into our hearts, as I mentioned, by the Holy Spirit so that we can reciprocate that love to him and we can represent him by showing this love to others. That is the pattern of the kingdom. And friends, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know this love. You know what it was once like to be an enemy of God, but now, because of his love, you've been brought near. And you know now that your identity is found in Christ you're no longer an alien and a stranger in this world. No, you're a dear child of God. And so it always starts with what we've received from God. This isn't a message about, okay, guys, just work harder as a Christian. Do more. That's just moralism. But the commands that we receive in Scripture are always to be cloaked in the gospel. They're always to be interconnected with the gospel. We always remember what's been done for us before we start to do something for God. And so it goes on in this concept. It says, we give what we receive. We are conduits of God's grace, mercy, and love. And this love should be overflowing. It should be continuous, just as the love of God is for us. Now, if I had a, a jug up here and a, and a water spout, you would understand the concept, right? You fill the water up, and then you open up the spout, and the water comes out, right? That's what we are supposed to be as Christians. 
But if you go up to the water jug and all of a sudden you turn the spout and either nothing comes out because it's clogged or what comes out is really dirty water, you know that something's going awry here. And that's what Paul's saying is, look, to be a good conduit, you've got to make sure that what comes out of you is pure. What comes out of you is what comes from God. You see, when we receive God's love, but then don't love others, we can diagnose that there's a problem. Something's broken in the way that this system is supposed to work. Because if we can receive God's love, but not love other people, well, then we have to ask ourselves, have I really experienced the love of God? Because the love of God is never intended just to dead end in our lives. And if we are loving people, but we're also not loving people, and there's some contamination, well, we need to find out what's going on in our hearts that's causing us to not love others with the love that we have so freely received. The Bible calls that sin. Sometimes it's called idolatry. There are things that we love more than God, and when we love those things that are more than God, we don't love people with the love of Christ. And so how essential is love in the way that we relate to others? Well, Scripture says it's essential because if you don't have it, you're not useful in God's kingdom. So that's a little bit on the, the bad news, the love is essential part. But you might be wondering, well, how do I know if I'm being loving or not? And the second point here is love is observable. Verses 4 through 7 explain this. Famous words often spoken at weddings. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So, one, I told you love is essential, so you're already thinking, well, I don't, I don't always love. And now, all of a sudden, I read these verses, and you're going, well, the bar is set pretty high, isn't it? This isn't just one of those little bars that we can sort of jump over on our own. Uh, if you're familiar, you guys are all familiar with the pole vault, right? Sometimes the bar is so high, you have to have some help getting over it with the pole, right? Well, that's what Paul's explaining here. He's explaining that this bar is so high that you're never going to get over it on your own. But this love that he's describing is observable. You know, sometimes when people say love is love or they have uh, love is a feeling, that's another way that they talk about it, it's really hard to describe, well, how do I know if I'm being loving or not? Love can sort of seem sort of fickle by just based on how I feel. But Paul wants us to be grounded in truth. He wants us to understand what this love is supposed to look like. And so he tells them what love is, and he tells them what love is not. Two sides of the same coin. First, he says, love is patient and kind. It rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. But then he says what love is not. Envious, boastful, arrogant, rude, insisting on your own way. I actually underlined that in my notes here. Why? Because I'm proud. I like things to go my way. And I don't think you guys are any different than me. You'd underline some of your own words here in this passage. Irritable, probably underscore that twice. 
resentful, rejoices at wrongdoing. Okay, maybe I don't do that one as much. But nobody gets an A-plus on this list. Everybody's got something going on in their lives because the reality is, is even though we have been saved by Christ and the Holy Spirit is at work in us and we are being transformed into the image of Christ, we're not done yet. That comes later. So between today and that day, we've got some work to do. And this is what Paul is graciously calling the Corinthians to. When we are not loving, when we are envious or irritable, when we insist on our own ways, it's like pouring dirt into that water jug. It makes it really hard for anything good to come out of us. And so this love is observable. And because it's observable, we can get a good diagnosis of it. Uh, I have a daughter that's had a lot of heart problems over the years and there's a procedure that the doctors do at the hospital it's called a heart cath or catheterization and they go in uh, through either your leg or your neck and they they go and they put a probe in and they actually go look around to see if there's any blockages in your heart and they can do all kinds of cool stuff and they can do some repairs but the main thing is it's a diagnostic tool they go in and figure out what's the problem on the inside and friends spiritually a text like this can work like a heart cath. When you read these words slowly and you say, Lord, show me, show me my heart. Show me what's going on inside of me. The Holy Spirit works like a heart cath. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart, it says in Hebrews. And so we have this wonderful Holy Spirit that can come and help us through the word and often through the help of others to see blind spots things that we don't always see. I remember years ago, I was being considered to come on staff at the church. My wife and I were driving in the car, and one of the things that we had to do was go through the list of qualifications for being an elder. And she said, you know, above reproach, and, you know, okay, yeah, I think you're fine. And she's going through all this stuff, and she got to the word gentle. And there was just that nanosecond of a pause. And I was like, oh, I almost swerved off the road. I was like, oh, no. This is bad news. You know, because you know how that is when somebody just uh, gentle. They either pause or they raise their voice. Gentle? You know, something like that. And, and I said, oh, you know, because I'm supposed to be a pastor, and, you know, and in training. And so, oh, be humble. What, why did you slow down? Why, why did you stop on gentle? And have you ever tried to bring correction to somebody who you're not sure if they want it from you or not? What do you start to do? You start to hem and haw a little bit. Well, I, I, I mean, most of the time you're gentle and, you know, all that kind of stuff goes on. Well, the longer she went on, the more I'm sitting there going, oh, this is much worse than I thought. Much worse than I thought. You see, in my life, there were pockets of times when I was just not gentle with our little girls. I would talk to them with a stern voice or a furrowed brow or just have a certain demeanor around them where my wife could pick up on it. She goes, that's not gentle. And that was one of the illustrations that she used. And then she went on, and she, at the time I was running a, a, a business, and she said, you know, you might want to talk to your employees about this. And I was like, oh, this is, I've really gotten into it now. But I did, and I actually called a staff meeting with all the employees, and I said, hey, you know, Bonnie told me that I might have a little bit of an issue with the, you know, with gentleness. But, you know, do you guys ever see that here? crickets. Man, you know, in those moments when you're a, 
receiving the Lord's discipline, it's not pleasant at the time, is it? But you know, if I was ever going to grow as a Christian, if I was ever going to be able to use by God, these are the types of things that you actually have to embrace. Scripture says that when we hate correction, we are a fool. And the reality is there were aspects of my own life that I didn't see very clearly. And I needed to draw these people out, and I needed God's word, and I needed God's spirit, but I also needed God's people. Because there are parts of my life that I just don't see very accurately, or I just give myself really high marks on when it's not really reality. And you and I, I think, have a lot in common in that way. Because Scripture tells us nobody's perfect. None of us is righteous, not even one. Now, we're righteous in God's sight because we've been declared righteous, but the actual process of becoming righteous, well, that's an ongoing work of progressive sanctification, ongoing change, being conformed to the image of God. And I love it when it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that how this process works is that as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed, and this is the part that I love, from one degree of glory to another. You see, change in the Christian life doesn't happen overnight. Think about it. One degree of glory to another. And it says this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we have great confidence in knowing that he who began a good work in us is going to complete that work. But there's a part of this that we play. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you to will and to act for his good pleasure. So when we observe the ways that we are loving, we should be encouraged that God is at work in us. But when we get found out, we find out that we have some ways where we're not loving the way that God intends us, that's a moment to humble ourselves before God and before others and to receive the help that God would have for us. Because if there are areas of your life where you're not loving other people, you're negating the wonderful gifts that God has given to you. Because you're serving people and trying to help people in a way that you think is helpful, but ultimately isn't, because they don't also experience the love of God as you're trying to help them. And so these things have to go together. As I mentioned earlier, love is hard to define. But the good news is, we know it when we see it, don't we? You've got that special person in your life. Maybe it's a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or a friend or a sibling or even a parent or lots of different things. Maybe a dear friend from college who just loved you when you needed help. You knew you weren't going to make it on your own, but this person was there for you. And so we know when we've been loved. And have you ever stopped to consider, and I've done this in going through this passage, that love looks a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? You know, if you took this passage, and I'd encourage you to sit down in one of your times with the Lord, is rewrite this and insert the name Jesus before these attributes that demonstrate love for us. For instance, Jesus is patient. He is, isn't he? Love is patient. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus is not envious. Jesus is not boastful. Jesus is not arrogant or rude or irritable. And once you do that exercise and get get your mind expanded in reminding yourself about the wonderful grace that we have in being united to Jesus Christ, 
who shows us all of this love, and we're the great recipients of all this love. But as you're evaluating yourself, stop and insert your own name. Is Vince patient? Is Vince kind? Does Vince rejoice with the truth? You see, this is the way that we can use God's word to discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. It's a hard exercise, but it's a wonderful exercise. Look back at the text. I want you to notice something. There are no conditions here. It doesn't say, you know, if people are nice to you, then be patient with them. No, actually, there are other places in Scripture that say we're supposed to love our enemies and do good to them, to bless them and not to curse them. Friends, this is, this is the deep end of the pool. And yet we talk about love so flippantly. Oh, I'm in love, I'm this, I'm that. No, but in the way that God wants us to understand this, it's really important because not only is love essential, but it's observable. And friends, as God has called us out of darkness and brought us into his marvelous light, he wants us to be these bright, shining beacons of his love to the world around us. Because that love that we show to other people is attractive. People want to go towards that love. And that's what he's called us to do. And so we don't want to be setting up an obstacle to God's love and to God's purposes. And love is never something that we will do on our own. We always have to remember that we love because he first loved us. That's the source of our love, but it's also the motivation for our love. This is the gospel connection. As I was thinking about this message, I, I thought about another illustration about a time when I had spoken to my wife. We were supposed to go out that night with some friends. And I said, hey, can we please you know, be ready to go on time? Uh, I know this couple likes to go on time, and I have German background, so I just like to be on time just by default. And I was raised that way. And when my wife came back, she was quite a bit late, and so I was waiting by the garage door on the inside when she got in. And I just had, I didn't really say much, but I just had that look on my face, right? That disappointment. You didn't measure up. You didn't do what you were going to say. And it was actually one of the more humbling moments of our, our marriage because when our friends came to the door, um, they knocked on the door. My friend was there. I said, hey, we're here. And so I said, all right, okay, Bonnie, let's go. And Bonnie said, I'm not going with him. And I looked around and I said, no, come on, let, let's go. And she goes, no, not after the way you've treated me. That was a wake-up call to realize how damaging a lack of love can be. Instead of being gracious and forbearing or discussing it reasonably, what happened there, all she got from me was a lack of love. And so, friends, we are called to live in this world in a much different way. And by God's grace, I was able to repent and tell Bonnie how sorry I was that I did not reflect to her the love that I had received from God. And that I was sorry for not only the look on my face, but see, friends, sin travels in packs. Not only did I have a look on my face, but I also had a hardness of heart. I was angry that I didn't get what I want. And so I had to acknowledge to her that she didn't make me sin. That sin resides in my heart all by itself. That situation just provided an opportunity for that sin to be revealed.
And that's how it is with you and I. These are tests of the emergency sanctification system. You know, that garage door went up and I failed the test. But God gives us other chances. He gives us a chance to say we're sorry to Him, but also to the people that we sin against. And friends, this is encouraging because we can grow and we can be strengthened and we can be conformed into the image of Christ day by day as we follow God and trust Him to make us become who He has called us to be. My third point is this. Love is eternal. This isn't something that we just turn on and turn off. It's not just for when our Christian friends are around, or it's not just when we can be seen by others as being religious or a nice person. No, the love that we're called to is a 24-7, 365 kind of love. When we're in public and when we're in private. And once it starts, it's never to end. And that's what it says in verse 8, doesn't it? Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And listen to the, listen to the metaphor that he uses. He says, when I was a child... I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Love never ends. The other gifts, the other things, they may pass away, but love is never supposed to end. You see, Paul is clarifying what's going to happen when Christ returns. All things are going to be made new. Everything will be right. We will be the people that God has called us to be. And one of the great things about heaven is there will be no ability to sin anymore. I'm looking forward to that day. Because sin is a constant companion. We all struggle with degrees of indwelling sin. And yet verses like this give me such hope because it talks about growing in maturity as a Christian. I'm not supposed to keep thinking like a child as I progress through the Christian life. No, I'm to grow up into Christ and I'm to grow in my knowledge of Him and I'm to put on the things that He wants me to put on and I'm to put off the things that He wants me to put off. You know, as young believers, we are like children. But as we grow in our faith and we grow into maturity, we live out our lives as God would have us. And we become those bright, shining lights that shine in a dark world. You know, you drive around in Manassas, you drive around in Fairfax, and we have George Mason University right near us. And I go over to the campus quite a bit. But I'm sure if you just walked around the streets of Manassas or through your neighborhoods, we live in a world that has distance itself so significantly from God. And all you have to do is talk to your neighbors about the heartache and the heartbreak that they're experiencing with their kids and in their marriages and at their workplaces and the, the turmoil and the strife and the angst. And people are living these lives of quiet desperation but without hope. And yet, friends, God has called us to bring that hope to them in the way that we live our lives before them. And yes, we are to speak the truth to them. But what does Ephesians tell us? We're to speak the truth 
in love. And so that what we say and what we believe has to be joined together with who we are in Christ. It's our witness and our example. And that's what I'm so excited. One of the reasons why I'm so excited to be down here today is that, so I was born at Georgetown Hospital. I grew up in McLean, and I, I live in Fairfax now. And, and I know the Northern Virginia lifestyle. And I know that when I sit here and talk to you about people who are just lost and sad and hurting and having all kinds of stuff going on, you guys are nodding your heads. It's all around us. And the ironic thing is, in proportion to the rest of the world, we have it all. We have cars and houses and money and jobs, and we know where our next meal is going to come from. And yet, even in obtaining all the things that the world says we should desire, broken marriages, runaway kids, drug addictions, all sorts of things. And when I think about you, dear saints, being down here in Manassas, a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, trying to, as best you can, in community, live out the truth of the gospel and the way that you love one another and the way you love your community, well, I just say yes and amen to that, and I thank you. Thanks for being the people of God down here. As I mentioned at the beginning, I'm aware that there's been some tumultuous seasons here in this church. But you know what? Christ is the head of this church. And, you know, sometimes what God does, and he did this in our church about 12, 14 years ago, he did a lot of pruning. We were a much larger church back then. We actually shrunk to be quite a, a much smaller church. But during that time, the Lord revealed to us some of our blind spots. He helped us to see some of the ways that we weren't loving one another and loving the community in the way that he wanted us to. And I can assure you, there was some pain involved and there were some hard things that happened relationally between people but something really cool happened over time. The church started getting stronger because the people who stayed and the people who were committed to being part of that church loved one another. And not just with a love as a feeling, but love that you could describe and observe from the Bible. People stopped quarreling and people started confessing. People stopped trying to insist on their own way and instead were patient with others. And all of a sudden, you saw love being played out in the context of our local church. You also saw repentance from the leaders and from other people for just different ways that we had not led well over the years. And see, the great thing about the Lord's discipline is that in the end, it produces a harvest of righteousness. So we're, here we are now in such a good season that we've got enough guys on staff that we can send other pastors to come and serve another church. And so sometimes this change that has to happen, first of all, it doesn't always happen fast. Actually, rarely does it happen fast. Because usually the work that God wants to do is a deep work in our hearts. But it's worth it. And I want to encourage you, keep praying for this church and about this church and your role in it. And that's not to say that people can't leave churches and go other places. God calls us to do things. There's nothing wrong with that. But just knowing how God loves people and how God loves the people of Manassas and Manassas Park and this area, I would just say pray and ask the Lord, what is he calling us to do together as New City Fellowship? Not for our glory, but for his. And I trust and I believe that God has a good work in store for you. Not just a little work. I think it's a significant work because he never disciplines us just to discipline us. He disciplines us so that there's a fruit 
of uh, a harvest of righteousness that comes out and bears good fruit. So I'll stop preaching at you that way, but I just wanted to encourage you all. As I was coming down here, that was one of the things that was on my heart because for you all to have stuck together as long as you have and to have been through all that you've been through together, that's something special. That's something that's born of the Spirit, and I just want to encourage that in you guys. We are to be known by our love for others. We're also to be known by our love for each other. And so as you apply this message in your life, as you apply it in your marriages and in your home life and in your relational network, uh, I want you to be encouraged that, that God does this because he wants you to become more like Christ. And as you apply this in your church fellowship, I pray that you would apply loving one another with a new sense of faith and encouragement because God is doing a good work in you. A good work that will bring him glory and Lord willing will bring other people into the kingdom of God because the message of the gospel that you declare will be modeled by a lifestyle that you live and it will authenticate the message of grace and in that way you are trophies of God's grace. Amen? All right, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for teaching us that your love is essential. Your love is observable, and we see that in Jesus Christ. And your love is eternal. And we pray that each day that you give us breath to breathe here on this earth, Lord, that we would love others with the love that we have received from you. And I pray for this dear church, Lord. I pray that you would strengthen it in the love of Christ. I pray that they would exalt Christ in all that they do. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen this body of believers to be used by you to advance the kingdom of your Son. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.